Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. This time on the program, I've got Sam Melnick. For those of you who don't know Sam, Sam's the Vice President of Marketing at Alacadia. And today we are talking about careers in MarTech. Sam, how are you doing? How's it going? I am excellent, Dave. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm pumped to be spending some time with you and talking about careers in MarTech and how we all got there. You know, just last night I was at an event and I was talking with a bunch of people there and we were talking about the path to CMO and I'll come back to it later on. But boy, uh, coincidence? I don't know. I knew I was going to do the podcast with you today and we were going to talk about MarTech careers, but it certainly was on people's mind uh, last night. Before we jump in, you, you've got an interesting background. So maybe you can share a fun fact about Sam Melnick that's not on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess a fun fact about myself is, you know, I actually went to school for sport management, sport business. Um, and my first job out of school was actually running a small baseball team, which is a good lead into probably what we're going to talk about. But from, I guess, sport business to SaaS technology. Yeah, my my uh, I didn't grow up playing baseball. Uh I like the sport. I like going to games more than actually um, watching on TV. And like you, I was, uh, well, not like you, I was a coach for girls under 16 uh, softball, which was a lot of fun and a good experience. Great story I could share there if there's time. But uh, two favorite movies, Feel the Dreams, loved it, and um, also Moneyball. So Moneyball, and with your background, maybe you can bring some of that that we can get into talking about uh, return on investment and such in, in marketing. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's actually Moneyball was probably one of the reasons that kind of drove that book drove me in that direction. I, I was I think I was supposed to be the next Theo Epstein. Um, I guess that didn't quite happen. But well, all st- good. <laughs> there's still chance. Well, maybe you're doing it at Alacadia. Um, let's let's jump in. And I hope for all of you listening in the program, the reason Sam and I we talked about getting together and doing a podcast. We were just riffing on our careers and our backgrounds and how we got to where we are. And sometimes you feel in your career uh, that everything was planned and structured. And that's not often the case. Um, but you know what? It's not also very random either when you start to think about it. And hopefully in the podcast today, you start thinking about where you are right now and how you got there and where you want to go. So Sam, why don't you why don't you kick it off and talk a little bit about your path to VP of Marketing at Alacadia, and, and I'd like to share a little bit of what I don't think my audience knows a little bit about my background. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I want to start just talking about kind of this untraditional path, because I did talk about how, and I just mentioned how I, I started off in like sport business, sport management, yeah. and I can recall, I ran this, I was basically the general manager of the business side of this small Western Mass baseball team called the Holyoke Giants. Um, We had like three or 400 people maybe show up at each game if we were lucky. Uh, And I can remember the first day, right out of almost a year after I graduated college, walking into this room where the players who were coming in from 
Nebraska, California, maybe somewhere as close as Connecticut, if you're thinking about Massachusetts. And they're basically looking at me to tell them, all right, here's the host parents you're going to live with. Here's your schedule. Here's the coach. Here's, here's basically your itinerary. And me just standing there being like, how am I going to make it through this season? Um, I came out the other end, but the experience from running that baseball team, I actually, I'm actually looking at the picture with me and the team right now. It's on my desk. It's kind of propelled me throughout my career that if I can figure that out with pretty much zero experience, uh, I could figure out anything. Yeah. So there's a great quote by Steve Jobs. I'm going to, I'm going to ruin the quote, but he, he talks about once you realize the world is made up by people no smarter than your own, you can you know, invent some incredible things. And nothing nothing ever held him and his team back from, from really inventing some incredible technology. When when you got started in your career, what were some of the first, um, you know, after, after college, what were some of the first roles? Yeah, I mean, it was that baseball team. I actually did a mobile or experiential marketing tour where I was representing the Sprint brand uh, and activating their NASCAR sponsorship. So I literally traveled around the country uh, going to different markets and running events. That's where I got my taste for barbecue because we <laughs> spent time in like Austin and Nashville. Nice. Uh, yeah, um, I worked, and then I then I found my way actually into technology companies and into kind of towards this world, but definitely started off on that sport brand, uh, hands-on experiential uh, uh, areas. And what do you think about those roles that maybe? continued your path to where you are today as, as you as you look back? Yeah, I mean, I would say all, both of them, or not even both of them, but all of those earlier careers, I think they were a baseline for a lot of what I've been able to continue to do and accomplish, um, whether it's figuring out to literally organize yourself or how to run an event or how to... Uh, you know, communicate with people when you're driving hundreds of miles together in a in a uh, in an SUV pulling a trailer in the back. It's really like these skills or these experiences really give you the opportunity to springboard off of them. When you were so you you did several years at at IDC and you were on their analyst team and and provided advisory services to CMO, which I imagine gave you a tremendous amount of insights and access um, to that role. And um, one of the things when I started Demand Gen that we committed to from day one is that we wouldn't be just an advisory service. We would be an advisory and a doing service, that we would um, lead our clients in terms uh, down the path of modern marketing and how to embrace marketing technology systems, but we wouldn't stop there, that we would be hands-on keyboard um, implementing the methods and technologies that we were helping them with. How did you like being just on the analyst side, not necessarily being a practitioner or working alongside your client? Because that's a role that I, I haven't had in my career. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. So I was at a small SaaS company in Boston before IDC, and then I made my way into IDC, and I was looking for my next job. And I, so when you talk about career paths, it's like you have these decisions where you look back and you say, what if I had gone that way? Or what if I'd taken the left at the fork instead of the right? And I can remember I was interviewing with companies like EMC and IBM, and they probably would have paid me a bit more, but I ended up going with IDC because it was the opportunity to learn. And that's something that's that you know I'd encourage everyone. It's like, don't just think about like that trajectory path, but what can you learn? And working in the advisory service 
and having access to, not even access, being able to help and learn from other marketers, these senior marketers, VP of marketing ops, CMOs, you know, director of global marketing was invaluable. And it's like one of these things that I'd say moved me up three or four levels in a short amount of period just because of the knowledge and the people I got to work with. Yeah. You also stayed at the companies you were at for several years, you know, probably like on average three years. And um, even though it's nice to make career progressions and do that rapidly, uh, many people are hopping a lot more than we've seen. And maybe sometimes for a good reason, but I've always found, I think it was the book Blink, where he talked about, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talked about, if it wasn't that book, I've read a lot of his books. It was, you know, once you have, you know, thousands of hours, I think it was like eight or 10,000 hours of experience in a particular area, you become a master of that trade. And I find too often people hop from company to company and they never really get the opportunity to be a master of something specifically at that company before they're moving on and almost starting over and have to rebrand themselves. So my advice to um, the folks coming out of college these days and people younger in their career is don't hop so much, you know, stick around, just choose wisely. Don't, you know, don't be hasty and go to a company only to figure out while you're there that it was the wrong decision. Do your, do your homework. Yeah, it's interesting because I was actually, my wife and I were talking about this last night. Um, we've got a couple of roles open at Alcadia and just thinking about how do we build the team. And as resumes come in, it's like you can read, you know, you can jump to a lot of conclusions on a resume. And some people it's like 15 years at a single company. And like, what, what does that mean? Or, you know, three stints of 18 months or less. What does that mean? So, and I was saying, you know, it made me, makes me realize that, you have to be intentional with your career, but it also, everybody's got a story too. And so it's like be intentional and know your story. Yeah. Know, know how you've progressed and why. So for people that are listening in on the podcast and maybe that they're still at the early stages of their career, some takeaways then from your career journey, what would you share as some of the, the things to do uh, or not do to, to take you down the right path. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'd say the number one thing that has helped me in the last, I don't know, whatever, 10 years or what, whatnot, is be conscious of understanding what gives you energy. Like there's points where I actually write down this week, these things, these tasks, these opportunities, these conversations gave me energy. And on the flip side, these drained my energy. They took longer than they should have. I was really bummed. Like I was like, after this experience or this activity I was like just lower energy and that helps you understand like uh, where your interests are yeah I mean if we ended the podcast right there that is a huge takeaway what great advice you know someone was saying to me last night it was Robert from uh, the Bright Funnel team he said to me Dave you have like boundless energy he's like you're one of the hardest working guys out there and you know I just I thought about it for a second I said I just because I love what I do but when you just said what you said it helped me realize why I love what I do so much because I really get a lot of energy from people and from accomplishment. You know, I'm addicted to learning, I'm addicted to accomplishment, and I'm addicted to spending time with people. So leading an organization and bringing on new clients and working with the clients we have, whether it's out in the field or, you know, when I'm remote, I just, it gives me energy. I appreciate you sharing that insight because it was never that crystal for me is on probably why I work as hard as I do and why I love uh, what I do so much. Yeah. And the other thing about that, when you think about what gives you energy, you start 
moving away from a checklist on a resume or a checklist within in terms of things that you have to do to get to the next step because you know a title you know we all have titles but there's somewhat i don't want to say meaningless it's more like when you have energy and when you're as you said when you're totally involved in what you're doing there's no doubt that your output is going to be better both at work and outside of work too, because you're a better human, you're a better worker, you're a better, you know, husband or wife. So it just, I mean, I'm, you can hear it in my voice. I'm really, I really believe that finding what gives you energy helps propel your career. So it's, it's, it's state of mind, right? I mean, everything comes back to how we feel about things. Um, I mentioned to you earlier about my baseball story. I think it's a good time to, to share it right now um, because it's about state of mind and, and knowing what you're swinging for. Uh, when I was coaching, I think it was my first year coaching, and I was not a baseball player, so I really had to learn not only um, the rules of baseball, but more importantly, I had to learn how to coach uh, a team and teach them how to swing and run the bases and, and field and all that. And I had done that very successfully in soccer, but I played soccer and I was a much better soccer player. So this is not something I read in a, in a book somewhere. It just came out of my mouth because it seemed like the right thing to do. I saw this girl at the plate, and one of the other girls is pitching to her, and she's swinging and missing and missing and missing. And you just see the shoulders come down. You see the face come down. This was her very first time playing. Um, she, you know, this was under 16. She was probably five foot five, you know, tall girl, bigger, stronger girl. And yet she's swinging at the ball hard and just not connecting. And I'm like, wow, this is at the point where she's going to decide on this first day of coaching whether she even wants to play anymore. And I walk over to her. And I said, hey, can I grab you a different bat? And she's like, I can't do this. I'm just not any good at it. And I said, no, you just have the wrong bat. It's not you. I'm just watching you swing. You're, you just have the wrong bat. And I went over, grabbed her a bat. And I go, use this bat. You'll hit the crap out of the ball. You'll probably be one of our best hitters. And she hit the next ball and just slammed it. And she became one of our best hitters. And Sam, I, I, didn't, I didn't really think the bat was going to make a big difference. I mean, I needed to get her a little bit of a lighter bat. But it's still a story that I remember to this day because it was about, you know, being a good leader and giving someone inspiration and um, just just helping them have a sense of accomplishment. And then when she had that, like you said, it she loved hitting the ball because it was like she had something to prove then. And she kept she kept doing it. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a great story. And I can even talk about like IDC. One of the reasons why that stop at IDC as a within the analyst firm, you know, it was great customers great marketers that i got to work with but it also was my boss there and it's who is kathleen schaub who used to be a cmo herself Love used, kathleen huge yeah kathleen fan. it's exactly and like it was the it was it's almost like you get these situations within your career that are um the right mix of what you enjoy uh with the right content and then the right boss or the right colleagues around you. And that's where you make your leaps in your career. Like me working under Kathleen and, and learning from her, like, like you, you add all this together and it, and, and you think it's good to acknowledge. I, I think that's another important thing. Acknowledge when you've got it good, you might not be able to stay there forever for whatever reasons you need to move your career forward, whatnot. But when you've got it good and you have that formula yeah. going, acknowledge it and realize that it might not get much better or this is something you want to recreate again and kathleen was someone who just who did something who did manage in that way that you just talked about in terms of you know 
pop the reinforcement and making sure you know you had that momentum so that that kind of triggered me your story so let's talk about let's say you're maybe at the mid-level of your career or even later stage in your career it doesn't doesn't really matter at this point now you've got experience you're learning you never stop learning but you and I talked about something recently where we talked about crafting your own role and ways to you know go about uh, doing that. And so before that, I didn't realize probably early in my career that I was actually doing that. When I look back, it's crystal clear. So for example, I always loved technology. I've, I've ever since I got my first computer, you know, I wrote in my book uh, that the best day that I ever had with my dad was actually not playing baseball. It was actually going to the computer store and buying uh, first computer together. And it was just a really special, magical day. And so I figured out that if I could just think of stuff in my head and I learned how to write code, I could just make it on a computer. And it was, it was really empowering. So as I went into my career and started my first several years in sales, because my professor told me, if you want to be a great marketer, um, go into sales and learn why people buy. It's great advice. And then I was in marketing for the rest of my career. And during that time, especially in the early 90s, I started working very closely with IT to set up our website, to do forms, to do e-commerce, to do, you know, coded nurturing. You know, folks, there was no marketing automation way back then. And so I was writing code, essentially, writing like marketing code with my IT team to do things that today we now have, um, I almost said off the shelf, we have off the cloud tools that enable us to do this. And so I kept gravitating towards technology-enabled marketing because that's where, as you said, I got my energy from. I, I fed my inner geek of it. I never realized I was doing that, Sam, along the way. I just kept going there. That path led to me bringing in marketing automation and CRM when it became available to my last company. And it was there that I decided it's time to build DemandGen, the very first agency to help people with marketing technology. So it was very led, but I don't know if it was as purposeful as I realized back then. And you've talked about how you've crafted your own jobs along the way. And I, I wanted you to share some of that because it was great, great insight, great perspective for those people that are listening. They're like, okay, what's next for them? Maybe they should reflect on where they've got to where they are. But then that, that advice you have about, you know, you don't need a title, like you said, just, just go do the role and start shaping it. How'd you do it? Yeah, so I'd say there's probably two phases. The first was when I was at IDC. You know, I knew I loved learning about marketing and working with marketers. I realized that. But I also realized that at that stage in my career, I wanted to get involved with business, a business that was beyond the analyst firms. So in my role, I had the opportunity to interact with a bunch of different MarTech SaaS companies. I was getting briefed. I'd hear my customers talking about these technologies. So I started a list of interesting companies that either I'd come across or a customer would bring up or multiple customers would bring up. So for that portion, it was like I had a list of target companies and I had an idea of the types of role I might want to do. I was like, oh, maybe I'll do product marketing or maybe I want to be customer facing and do customer success or something like that. Once I, once I decided I wanted to move to my next role, I started actively either looking or cold outreach to those companies um, to see if they had any roles. And I got a few interviews and I actually ended up, you know, I actually ended up at Lattice Engines after IDC where I saw Heather Fay, who, who was of ex-Eloqua as yeah. well, posted something on Twitter and I 
figured out her email address and emailed her cold and we got on the phone and the rest there is history. So I guess that, that my first point is figure out the market, figure out the types of companies you want to work with. For me, it was SaaS companies that were, you know, less than $100 million in revenue that were MarTech and had a potential growth trajectory. And that's, I got a list of six to eight companies. So I guess that's the first step. I'll pause there because I have a second step that I learned later. I would, I would echo that. And company culture and environment. I, I started my career at Microsoft. I worked there several years, you know, introducing the first versions of Windows and the Windows products. But I knew, even though I loved working at Microsoft, it was a phenomenal experience. It was the wrong size company for me. It was too big of a company. I had too many ideas that I wanted to share that, that weren't necessarily going to be welcomed in a company that moved at the pace that Microsoft did. So I've always really flourished and did much better in, in a smaller company. Good good point. Know your, your environment. What's, what's point number two? Yeah, so point number two. So later I learned, so when I was at Lattice, I started keeping the energy kind of list for myself. And I actually found myself at Lattice Engines kind of moonlighting in product marketing or marketing in general. I was writing like maturity models. I ended up being kind of the one on the customer success team that would build out the the content or collateral that we would use. I'd find myself in sales cycles more often helping pitch. And I was like, all right, so these are things that might be outside the scope of I was in a I was a customer facing role at that point outside the scope of customer facing role. And so I kind of noticed that and I started keeping that list of like, what are these things that gave me energy? Um, and from there, I basically built out what could be, an, what I thought would be an interesting job. And at that point I had, I had discussions with folks about potentially actually creating that job at a, at a company. And even like when a recruiter would reach out or maybe another MarTech founder or whatever and see if I was interested in joining their company, I would kind of pitch them that role. Um, so I took it to the next level, not just target the company, but target the role and target the areas of business or areas of your day that you really like. And suddenly you're looking at, all right, I've got my target market or my target companies, and I've also got the specific role, even if it doesn't necessarily exist, or at least the framework of the role that I want. And right. you're starting to get really specific there. Good, good recipes. Today, what's interesting, and I was saying, I was referencing the conversations I had last night with Doug Seacrest. Doug, if you're listening to this podcast, great to see you. Big fan of Doug. Big fan of Doug. One of the, <laughs> one of the best and brightest out there. He's at he's at Zenefits these days, and he is teamed up with Kevin Morasco. And Kevin and Doug are a team that have worked together before at Taleo and now again at Zenefits. So Kevin's a CMO. Doug runs demand gen and marketing ops, oversees all of that. And he and I had a great conversation one time a couple of years ago because he thought, hey, next step, CMO. And I said, why? And we had a great conversation. And the end of that conversation was, you know what? I don't want the CMO role. I like what I'm doing. I enjoyed this side. Uh, and I've had that conversation with a lot of other folks uh, out there recently. Jen Pakaldemus, maybe she's listening to the program too. She just landed uh, first time as CMO. And this is something that she really wanted to pursue. Um, she was just at Plex and she's always been really in that marketing operations and demand gen lead, working very closely with Heidi Malin. And, you know, Heidi's always been the CMO. And so those two are a team. But Jen wanted that position, and I really poked on her and said, why do you want it? To just kind of have that conversation and be really thoughtful there. And um, for all the right reasons, she she wants it. And so she's got that uh, exciting opportunity now just starting for her. But I think that, 
you know, everyone that is in marketing today has a very unique opportunity because there's the art of marketing, right? There's all the creative, the programs, the content, design, branding, you know, channels, all of that. If you want to go down that path and you enjoy that, if you, as you said, if you get energy from that. There's also the MarTech side, you know, the geek side of marketing, the, um, the technology, the systems, the project management around it, the programs management around it. There's the analytics and data side. So there are really a big fork in the road these days where you can go down a different path. It's not as it was in, earlier on in my career where you kind of were jack of all and you didn't have technology as, as part of the mix. So it's opening incredible new opportunities. And we're starting to see, right, new roles for people. We're starting to see everything from data scientists, data orchestration people, marketing operations, analytics, systems administrators for particular tool sets. I'm sure Alcadia, you know, great example. Like, you know, when when you guys license your platform to someone, I imagine there's not only an administrator but a prig user population using the platform and those roles, right? They didn't exist just a few years ago. So, uh divergent. Have you ever given thought to I mean, you have to you you manage a little bit of both at uh, at Alcadia, but did you preference one over the other? Um, I mean, did in terms of preferencing one on over the other, uh, you know, I've I kind of came at it from um, a position where I got to touch a little bit of both, and for me, it was it, it, it was how do you mix and match correctly. And I think where you hit on it really well is that ability to know why you're making that next move. So like whether you want to go towards you know, either one of those sides, it's like having that self-awareness and also that self-confidence to say, this is actually where I'm strongest and where I want to be spending my time. So, you know, Doug acknowledging that or whomever acknowledging that, then, you know, it's actually something really powerful when you can say, you know what? This is actually where I'm best, where I'm happiest, and where I should be. Environment, again, number of times I've been on stage and I've said to the audience, maybe making it sound too simple uh, because our jobs and our careers and, and making an income is, is certainly important. But I've said, if you're not happy in the role that you're in, or more importantly, if you're not happy at the company that you're at, quit, leave. Like, there's no, there's no, nothing forcing you there. Sometimes the only reason people don't leave is fear of change or maybe they feel like they're in a geography where there's less career options for them. You can, uh, depending on what stage of life you're on, you can consider a move. You can consider, uh, you know, doing remote. Uh, we just mentioned Doug. Doug. Doug travels a lot for work and commutes from Austin to San Francisco regularly. A lot of companies are open to more of that these days because they want to hire the best talent wherever they are and be flexible and support that. So you shouldn't be limited by geography. And let's not make excuses for ourselves anymore. If you want to be happy in life, it is not a destination. Happiness is the journey, and you should be happy uh, every day if you possibly can. You know, Get sweaty at work. Work hard, no doubt about it, but enjoy um, what you do. Hey, before we before we wrap up, Sam, I want to talk about you know you you've you shared a different perspective on what ROI means to you, and I was wondering if you would share that with the audience a little bit on on uh, your concepts there. Yeah, and this kind of touches back on like my my combination of analyst and marketing practitioner, so I get to talk about these things and think about these things, which always gives me energy. Um, and this idea that ROI t- traditionally defined as return on investment. I've actually been talking to a bunch of marketers and customers of Alicadia who think of are starting to think of it more about return on intent. Un- unpack that a bit, because yeah, you, you I, know when I reacted to it, I, I looked at you and I said, "I get it." 
uh, yeah. And I've been I've been evangelizing a lot lately about your CEO and your CFO are venture capitalists, and they expect a return on the investments that they're making. And you you gave a really cool uh, spin on that. Yeah. So if you think about it, particularly in B two B, ROI is this kind of golden ticket they're all trying to find. But the reality is, it's really time to rethink about it. You know, we've got sales cycles that run 6, 12, 18 months, and we can't wait that long to say, does this work or does it not work often? Um, you know, you've got sales reps who ignore contact roles, so your data is poor, so you actually can't measure results properly. And, you know, marketers, we're, we're, we, all, we all know the spiel about being under pressure. So rather than trying to find that almost perfect ROI equation, what, what I'm seeing marketers do, doing is saying, all right, what right, I'm going to spend some dollars. I'm going to put resources towards something. What was the intent of that? And did I get that intent out of it? Yeah. So let me, give, let me give you a couple examples too, uh, if that's cool. Absolutely. So think about it. Like, Did we move our prospects from one stage of the funnel to the next, from SAL to op? Or better yet, stage of the buyer's journey. You know, this is something that we mentioned Kathleen earlier. She talks about this. Did I move people from awareness to consideration? And how much did it cost to move them from A to B? That's a form of return on intent. Um, where, you know, something as simple as where did we spend at the end of the day? And we see this at Allocadia all the time with our with marketing performance management. Like, where did we spend? And did it actually match up to our plans, what we, we intended to spend to? So like, if I'm going to, if I say I'm going to spend 60% of my marketing budget on demand generation, because I know that's what the business need, did I do that or was I off by 20% or whatnot? Those are kind of the first steps on return on intent. People always ask, um, you know, should I buy this tool? What do you think about this platform? And I always ask the question, you know, to get them thinking, which is, you know, what would success look like to you with the use of that tool? Are you trying to acquire more leads? Are you trying to convert them to customers? You know, measurement, you know, what is the reason that you want that tool? And I like your approach, which is, you know, what do you intend to do with it? What's the return on intent? Because it's sometimes difficult to quantify exactly the impact a tool has from a dollar perspective, right? Some stuff we just need. And I think your advice around, you know, if you communicate what the intent of that action program or technology is, what you intend to do with it, and that's the ROI, it's a it's a neat perspective. And I appreciate you sharing with that because I've, I always get that question of like, well, for every dollar I spend, what am I going to get? And well, sometimes you can't directly connect something um, two dollar, or even if you can and say it's going to produce more customers, well, how do you quantify it? And so, if the intent is, hey, it's going to create more opportunities, um, you can look over time and see if that opportunity trend goes up, even though you might not be able to directly connect it to the tool or to the uh, the program. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm not suggesting to ignore like a traditional or stop trying to traditionally measure ROI. But being able to show you're getting that return on your intent, you're doing what you intended to do, it really helps you show that marketing's in control of dollars, good stewards of the company's dollars, and that leads to good things with the CEO or the CFO or whomever. Yeah. 
Well, Sam, thank you. We're going to wrap up. Uh, I always try to keep these around a commute length or time at the gym while you're exercising, whatever you guys might be doing listening to Demand Gen Radio. But Sam, really appreciate the opportunity to catch up and talk about just some some you know in, introspective views of our careers and maybe some advice for people that are thinking about what's next uh, for them. So thank you. Yeah, well, thanks a lot. I had a lot of fun. And thank you, Dave. You bet. Well, for all of you listening in, got some news for you. Uh, this is the last podcast that I am doing with this microphone. Um, I am buying some new equipment. That I bought some new equipment. It's coming in. And so uh, changing up the studio a little bit so we can have some guests here and get two microphones going as well as have some folks calling in. So I've got some cool new things coming for you on the podcast. Would love to hear your feedback, by the way, if you're willing to share either on LinkedIn or when you see me or drop me a note. And that is, what's the right frequency? I enjoy doing the podcast and bringing folks like Sam and others uh, to you. So to help inform and educate. But is that once a week? Is that more than once a week? Uh, I don't want to provide too much content and you feel that there's just too much there. And I also don't want to starve uh, you from the topics that I would like to cover, which is um, agents of change, people like Sam, uh, also the all the different marketing technology tools that are out there, the relevant ones, so that you can become aware of them and, and hear from the companies that have invented those products. So I'm really trying to figure that out, and I'd love to hear back from you. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and thank you for uh, your time, Sam. Much appreciated, and we'll catch you all on the next podcast. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.